Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and King of the Boneheads, and uh, tonight we are going to be talking a little bit about how to run a campaign where the characters are evil. The uh, the player characters, that is. We're, we're talking about an evil campaign. A uh, I'll put it in quotes... Like I uh, like I did in the media for all of this and the title uh, that I put out on Twitch, evil characters, um, and there's a reason for this. There's a reason why I put that in in scare quotes, if you will, to use that uh, that media term, um, which we'll get into. We'll we'll definitely get into that. Just uh, taking a sip of my lemon water here. And uh, before we start anything, real quick, I just wanted to uh, shout out a former guest on the show, a guy who was on just a couple weeks ago, uh, Jim Wampler. He sent me the first two issues of, here, I'll hold it in this hand so you guys can see it, Scientific Barbarian, uh, just, you know, for free, for, for me to, you know, take a look at. And it's always cool when people send me free stuff. I like it. Who doesn't like that? Especially when it comes to, you know, RPG books and stuff like that. Um, it's it's never expected. It's always appreciated. And, um, oh, thank you, Elfie. Uh, Boris is still a work in progress. But uh, we will, uh, I will finish that one at some point this week. But yeah, it's it's never expected. It's always appreciated. And it's always, you know, cool that someone is willing to, you know, send me their work to look at. Because um, it's their work. And, you know, you, you want to support people in the work that they're doing. You want to give them money for their troubles, for, you know, everything that they went through to, you know, put these books out there for people and to support their, you know, their work. So stuff like that, you know, I, I like to I like to buy books from people, but you know when they send them to me for free, it's great as well. And uh, yeah, I uh, like Elfie said in the chat, she literally brought this to me just a few minutes ago. It was in the mailbox today. Um, have not looked over it. At some point, I will do a review of these issues. What that's going to take is me playing Mutant Crawl Classics, uh, which I'm planning on doing in Texas. So, actually, I am signed up for at least one, if not two, Mutant Crawl Classics games in Texas. So, yeah, I will uh, 
review those after I've had the chance to actually sit down and play a little bit of Mutant Crawl Classics. So, now that I've, uh, you know, thanked Jim for the, the cool stuff that he sent me, uh, we'll get back to the subject of, you know, tonight's show, that being evil campaigns, evil parties, evil characters. Um, and to let you guys know where I'm coming from here, there are three main YouTube videos that I watched. Uh, I'd watched them before, uh, some of them multiple times. Actually, I think all of them multiple times. Uh, and these are what I consider to be the three kind of definitive takes on evil characters from three of my favorite RPG content creators. So the first one is from Noah Antweiler, a.k.a. the Spoony One, uh, for those of you who remember his time uh, as the golden boy of the internet when he did that show Counter Monkey just about, you know, telling RPG stories. Um, <clears throat> that was the series that got me into RPGs, and I've talked about this a few times. I know that Noah Antweiler has become a very controversial figure on the internet, and I understand why. Uh, dude definitely has some demons, but he's the reason why I even started playing this game in the first place. I was a fan of his content. So, you know, that I owe him that much. But he made a video in the series called So You Want to Be Evil. And the main thrust of his argument was you shouldn't play evil characters in RPGs. I'll address that in a little bit, but that's kind of the, the main viewpoint that he's taking on uh, evil characters. Next up, on really the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, from that conclusion, you've got Matt Colville's running the game number 65 on being an evil character, in which, uh, you know... The, the thought process behind that video started with Matt Colville tweeting out that there should be more explicitly evil player characters in D&D. &D. I disagree with that. Actually, I, I strongly disagree with that. Um, I'm not opposed to evil characters. Again, cover all of that, but I don't think there needs to be more. That's That's opening the door for some craziness. And then uh, somewhere in the middle of these two takes, really not so much giving his philosophy on whether you should or should not play an evil character, but rather, you know, telling, telling people how to think about playing an evil character and how an evil character would work with a party. You've got Seth Skorkowski's How to Play Evil Characters RPG philosophy video. Um... I love all three of these creators. You know, Seth Skorkowski has been on the show. Great guy. Love his stuff. Um, someday I hope to have Matt Colville on the show. And I don't think... I don't think Spoonie does appearances on other people's shows anymore. But if he wanted to, I'd be down to have him on. So, that's just kind of where I'm coming from. As far as this topic is concerned these are the you know the main schools of thought that i have looked at personally when it comes to the topic of 
evil characters. So, from here, I want to preface some of the problems with my own scenario that I've set up here. Because I'm a philosophy major and we overthink everything. So, I named this stream How Ryan Would Run an Evil Campaign. So I've got to go ahead and address the problem that I personally have with any kind of mono-alignment, race, class, campaign where everyone is playing the same type of character. So a campaign where everyone goes, hey, we all want to be evil, or we all want to be dwarves, or we want an entire party of barbarians, or an entire party of wizards, on down the line. Entire party of magic users. E even as broad as an entirely martial party or an entire party of casters, I personally will have some problems with. Um, from the player side, I often find myself in a situation, uh, you know, since I'm usually behind the screen, when I'm on the other side, when someone is saying, hey, let's do a campaign, you've seen the memes. Of, like, there's a great meme from SmackDown, from uh, WWE SmackDown. Uh, one of the one of the female wrestlers, uh, Billy Kay, she's been doing this weird gimmick where she's trying to find a new tag team and she's passing out her resume to all of these different established tag teams. And someone took an image of her handing a resume to a tag team and said. Uh, you know, someone in the party, I'm thinking about running a D&D &D campaign. And then it was that picture, and then the the current GM. Here's the character I want to play. That's where I... Uh, that's where I typically fall when it comes to, uh, you know, playing games. I, I think about all these different characters I want to play. You guys have seen me make characters on the show before. We'll definitely be doing more of that, by the way. Um, but I usually have an idea of something I want to try. And it is almost never what everyone in the party wants to do if they want to do a mono party. Uh, people are... <laughs> it's my dumb luck, really. I think about this character that I want to play or this type of character I want to play and someone goes, let's do a party where the, the one time it was suggested that we do a mono party, I think they wanted to do all Ganassi. And you guys have seen the types of characters that I create. I typically stick to human elf dwarf with a strong leaning toward human. I've considered other races. I don't know why I stick with humans, elves, and dwarves. Um, hell if I know. Uh, but that's typically where my tastes lie. So I'd given absolutely zero thought to ever playing a Ganassi. And when it was explained to me, I was like, that sounds weird. And I was kind of like, eh, sure, I guess. I was not thrilled with the idea. It didn't come about. It didn't come to fruition. 
uh, because the GM was like, I don't want to, the, the GM for that game was like, I don't want an all Ganassi party. And I was like, I don't want to play a Ganassi, so here's my elf character. And it worked out well. But yeah, when it comes to any of that stuff, even, you know, getting back to the alignment question, what you're doing is you're limiting the variety of characters that can come to the table. Because um, at some point, it's sticking specifically with, you know, what we're talking about tonight, evil characters, you've got three choices that kind of inform what sort of evil your character embodies. And there's variety within those choices, but you're either playing lawful evil, neutral evil, or chaotic evil. And even the variance within those three categories, there can be a lot of similarity, a lot of overlap. And with, you know, a limited number of players at the table, decent odds that someone is going to come up with the same concept as you. I played in a, uh, you know, the first time I played with my Wednesday group, I came in with a character who was a half-elf, uh, two-weapon fighting ranger. And then someone else came into the group, uh, completely blind, playing a two-weapon fighting elf. Uh, they were a rogue, but still, you know, two, two slashing weapons... Pretty much the same thing as my character. And then uh, Shag, uh, who I would love to have on the show someday. He's he's working on a game right now. And, and when that's ready uh, for hype, I'm, I'm going to see if he wants to come on the show with his, uh, with his designing partner. He showed up, and his character was also uh, a two-weapon fighting gnome. Not, a, uh, not an elf, but you know, two slashing weapons. So in that party, we had three characters that all had the same kind of modus operandi as far as attacking. That's pretty common. Uh, like in my Dark Sun group, organically, we just had two scions. They picked two different types of uh, psionics, but you had two scions. Um, so, you know, with imaginations and things like that there's there's gonna it's gonna limit variety and at some point it might feel like characters are exactly the same um it limits choices uh which limits kind of again the the variety that you can have in role play because if you have a party that's all evil you're never gonna have the opportunity to have the evil characters interact with you know good player characters and how they learn to get along. And because of this sameness, you are going to burn out the party pretty quickly because everything kind of feels the same. Playing an all-evil campaign, it's the same thing that I talk about when I talk about running Western games or superhero games. It is an idea that almost never survives past a session zero environment. Everyone's hyped when they first hear about it because it sounds different. Uh, they make their characters and everything's cool. And then you get like halfway through the first session and everyone's already bored with it. So keep that in mind if you're thinking about running an all evil campaign. Or, you know, running 
Well, this would be specifically for an all-evil campaign. A bad guys campaign. Uh, so that's out there on the table. But let's say, you know, everyone's down to run it and you guys want to, you know, really make a go at it. Really see that you can, you know, get some mileage out of this. Maybe, I don't know, three months worth of sessions. You know, a, a nice short campaign like that. How do you create evil characters? Um, why does everyone want to play an evil character? And, you know, what, what does that mean? Uh, so, in talking about evil characters, what I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to share my screen here with you guys, and we'll take a look at the alignment system of D&D and talk a little bit about specifically what it means to be evil in D&D. This might be elementary, but, you know, for anyone who's first encountering this, um, or first encountering this concept, I just want to, you know, explain everything up front and give you guys a good look at evil within the context of D&D, &D, where it comes from, what it means, all that. So, let's go over here to, let's make sure everything's good here. Yeah, so let's go over to screen share and see what we can see. Alrighty, so here you can see the Wikipedia page for alignment in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, let's take a look at this real quick. The idea of alignment comes from Michael Moorcock and a, a little bit from Paul Anderson as well. Uh, Michael Moorcock is the creator of Elric. And Paul Anderson, I believe, is the author of uh, Three Knights, Three Lions. Let me let me verify this. Basically, these are guys from uh, the appendix. These are guys who very much um, informed. You know, what D&D &D was. Or what D&D &D became. Um, did he write... Three Nights, Three Lions? I might be completely mistaken. Yeah, Three Hearts, Three Lions. There we go. Great book. A weird book. But if you want to understand... Specifically where the idea of, like, the paladin comes from. It's an important book. But in, in those books, you know, good, evil, law, and chaos. Good and evil very much come from Paul Anderson. And law and chaos is kind of more the Elric, uh, Michael Moorcock idea. And in the original version of D&D... Um, it was, you know, there were three alignments. Lawful, chaotic, and neutral. So, you know, just kind of like straight out of uh, Elric. In 1977, with the introduction of the basic set, second axis got added in, uh, which is good and evil. And in the middle there, you have true neutral. 
and this, you know, is carried over into AD&D 2nd Edition. 3rd uh, Edition keeps the same. 4th Edition uh, goes lawful good, good, evil, chaotic evil, and unaligned. It's... They wanted to do their own weird thing. Um, and getting rid of the lawful, neutral, and chaotic aspects of neutrality also felt a little bit weird because, you know, those are important. But basically what this is is a role-playing aid. All that your alignment tells you, and it's why I think alignment arguments are stupid and, you know, why a lot of people are now saying alignment arguments are stupid. It used to be a big deal to argue alignment. That's not really a thing in the community anymore. Um, and the reason why it's stupid is it's just a very general overview of what your character views the world as and, and what your character holds to as far as laws uh, and, and kind of the bent of your character, whether they are altruistic or self-serving. They're very broad, very general categories um, that encompass a lot of different kinds of people. And they really just give you a way to view the world as your character. So if you don't roleplay at all, really this entire episode is irrelevant to you. If you don't roleplay, if roleplaying is not a consideration for your group, you just aren't into it, you just want to go in the dungeon, find some stuff, kill some monsters, get some loot, you know, you're never really roleplaying, so alignment only matters in, like, the purest mechanical sense if... You know, you have, like, a detect good and evil spell, or you can only use an item if it matches your alignment, or however that goes. So mostly this doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if your party's all good or all evil. If all they're gonna do is just go into the dungeon, kill some monsters, grab some loot, and then go to the next dungeon. So, keep that in mind. Uh, those of you who don't roleplay, because I know... Not everyone does. Not everyone is into role-playing, and that's fine. Uh, so this is for those of you who are like me and obsess over stuff like this. Um, and to give, again, just a little bit more context specific to the current nature of D&D, I mean, we can go down here and read the Wikipedia explanation of each of them. But let's actually go to the player's handbook and take a look at what it says about the specific evil alignments in 5th edition. So, in 5e, lawful evil. Creatures methodically take what they want within the limits of a code of tradition, loyalty, or order. And it explains devils, blue dragons, and hobgoblins are lawful evil. So, this is your evil with a code. You are evil with a set of guidelines that you follow. Uh, good examples of this outside of D&D &D specific. Uh, this would be where Darth Vader falls. 
Darth Vader is lawful evil. He is a paragon of basically the virtues of the Empire and the dark side. Uh, devils, as are mentioned here, you know, when you think about, you know, devils in a hierarchy where, you know, there are lesser devils and, and all that, they, that's lawful evil. If there is a hierarchy that they follow, a law that they follow, uh, some kind of code, someone like a black knight would be kind of the ultimate example of lawful evil. Technically following like a code of chivalry, but doing so in a very nasty way. Or, you know, the enemy who, you know, he's evil, but if you are, you know, he's not going to fight an unarmed man, so he's going to kill you, but he wants you to pick up your sword and fight him like a man. Then you have neutral evil. This is the alignment of those who do whatever they can, whatever they can get away with without compassion or qualms. That's not a very good explanation of neutral evil, in my opinion. Basically, the neutral evil is pure self-interest. Uh, like with a, with a malevolent streak. Because chaotic neutral is also self-interest, but... Neutral evil is, you know, basically your, it, it's not quite your id is fully in charge, that's more chaotic evil, but, you know, this is, it's purely about whatever you want to do. Uh, you're not going to go crazy or anything like that, but, you know, what what meets my needs Neutral evil... I'm trying to think of an example here. I guess Mr. Freeze would technically be neutral evil. He's not lawful. Um, he's not chaotic. He has one goal, and that's to cure his wife, Nora. So, in that way, I would say Mr. Freeze is neutral evil. Basically, you know, this is someone who's driven by one single goal... Uh, you know, regardless of, or, you know, a series of goals, regardless of the outcome, would be a neutral evil. And then you have chaotic evil. Chaotic evil is you're basically insane. Um, the, the way that this is described, you know, creatures act with arbitrary violence spurred by their greed, hatred, or bloodlust. Chaotic evil is extremely hard to make work in any kind of party environment. Um, and yes, I would do anything to cure my Nora, uh, my lovely kitty, who we've had to bring back from the brink multiple times. So you could say that I have done anything to cure my Nora, short of robbing banks or anything like that. Uh... And, and Elfie has done even more for Nora because she's had Nora longer. But yes, I would do anything for my Nora. Is she still sitting there listening, Elfie? And if so, is she purring? These are important questions. But anyway, chaotic evil. This is the other cat, Ronan. I'm just kidding. Ronan is neutral evil. Um... 
But this is like, you know, Carnage or Harley Quinn or, you know, the Joker. This is someone who does, you know, like by definition does not play well with others because they're chaotic. Um, you know, this is being purely driven by their id. That's that's where a chaotic, evil creature or character would come in. So, we'll get to why this can be a problem, why chaotic evil in particular can be a problem in a group here in just a second. Uh, but that's really what I wanted to show you guys as far as uh, like visual aids go. So, we'll go back to the big camera. And now we'll keep talking about this. Go ahead and close this down here. So, when it comes to why people want to play evil characters, I, you know, I made some notes for this episode because I wanted to get my thoughts out here and, you know, hopefully give you guys something a little bit more structured. So, I've kind of divided these up into my hopeful and cynical reasons why people want to play evil characters. Uh, let me start with the hopeful, and then we'll get to the cynical. So, ultimately, the hopeful reason is that they want to explore complex and murky issues of morality with their roleplay. This is someone who wants to find out how an evil character could interact in a world with good characters. You know, how a person who's ultimately self-interested or is following the interests of a malevolent entity, in the uh, the case of a lawful evil individual, how can they coexist with people who don't follow the same creeds? If their goals align, how do they go about accomplishing their goals? And what happens when that goal is ultimately met and the players then have to, you know, do they turn on each other? Where do they go from here? If the goal is met, where do they go from here? And so, you know, a good, a good player playing an evil character um, would think about how their player, how their character's goals align with the the party. So let's say the adventure, uh, to use the example that I used on uh, Knights and Nerds of Sarkon the One-Eyed. Um, the goal of the party is ultimately, in this adventure, to overthrow Sarkon. Because uh, for kind of the good and neutral line characters, he's a tyrant. Maybe he killed someone's father. Uh, you know, maybe someone is his son and they don't approve of the, you know, the way that he's ruling over his subjects. Uh, they are an anarchist and want people to, you know, be free to make their own choices. On and on and on. Good and neutral reasons. Uh, but if you think about an evil character, 
how would an evil character fit with that ultimate goal of overthrow uh, King Sarkhan the One-Eyed? Um, maybe. This person was a loyal subject, you know, kind of a Hand of the King situation. They did a lot of uh, Sarkhan's dirty work, and he betrayed them. So they want revenge. Maybe they want his throne. They're going to do the exact same thing. Uh, but, you know, it's me and not him. So it's better that way. Maybe he's got an item that they want. Or they want his wealth. Or they want him out of the way so that their master can continue about his dark machinations. But either way, however you look at it, ultimately the goal there is the same. We're going to take out King Sarkon. And, you know, Lord Dark Annihilator, the anti-paladin, or the, you know, paladin of conquest, uh, are, are, you, are you in or are you out? Do you want to take down King Sarkon or, you know, do you even care? And so, you know, the, the player, uh, if he's a good player playing Lord Dark Annihilator, my, uh, my fictional uh, paladin of conquest here, is going to think about it. And if he's a good player, uh, like he is in this example, he's probably got some kind of backstory that involves a way in which either Lord Sarkhan slighted him or his master, because he swore an oath as a paladin, his master... Once Sarkhan gone. So, you know, ultimately this good player will go, yes, I am with you in your quest to kill Lord Sarkhan. And they're going, hmm, I'm not sure about kill. We just want him off the throne. Well, if you want him off the throne, you should probably kill him. Also, I want to take his place. We'll burn that bridge when we get there. But ultimately, you know, then you have someone willing to at least go that far with you. At least go the distance of, let's get Sarkhan out of there. Now, another noble reason that plays into this, uh, a noble reason to play an evil character, maybe someone wants a challenge as far as roleplay. This goes back into, you know, exploring complex moral issues Let's say this person is generally, you know, a nice person in real life. Um, amiable, fun to get along with, you know, perfectly, perfectly nice, reasonable person. And they just want to see what it would be like to kind of reach beyond that and play a character who's very different from them. A lot of people do that. Uh, I play characters who are very different from myself. I like to play badasses. And as much as I may want to be, I am not a badass. So that's... I feel that D&D is my fantasy outlet. So I let myself kind of play the tough guy that I maybe want to be or idolize or something like that. And other people will play different characters from themselves as well. Uh, some people will try to play super different characters from themselves. And in these situations, you may find a player 
who wants to play an evil character. And then the last kind of, you know, noble reason along the lines of exploring complex morality, they're tired of the standard good guy tropes. You know, they don't want to be the uh, the knight or the paladin, uh, the cleric, you know, the, the good wizard, the uh, adventuring bard. They want to be someone with a little bit of grime, a little bit of dirt, you know, not... Not some kind of Tolkien character. You know, they, they want to go a little bit more the Robert E. Howard route. Play around with someone like Conan. Or, uh, you know, something like that. Not Solomon Kane. He's lawful good all day. All the way. So those are some of the good reasons why someone might want to play an evil character. Then you have the cynical reasons. And this is... These cynical reasons here are uh, kind of the crux of Noah Antweiler's So You Want to Be Evil video. And that is, you know, typically people who say, I want to be an evil character, want a license to be disruptive. And this is certainly the case in, I'll even say a lot of cases. They want to play the character who, you know, cuts throats, steals from other players, does all kinds of nasty things, loots, pillages, rapes, whatever bad thing they can think of in their weird, twisted little mind. They want a license to do that at the table with impunity, and they'll often come at you with, it's what my character would do. And, you know, this is someone looking to grab, you know, as much loot as they possibly can, all the cool magic items. They want to steal from their uh, their party members. They want to, you know, a, a lot of times you'll see people like this who want to win D&D. Because there are, there are people out there who want to win D&D, which is a silly statement. But... A lot of people think of it that way, because they just do. I don't know how to explain it. But that, you know, that's one way that people will, you know, see that they can win D&D. They can have the best, most powerful character who kills everything, even his own teammates, if he damn well feels like it. And basically, you know, Seth Skorkowski calls this person the roleplay terrorist. Uh, Matt Colville calls them the wangrod. This is someone you don't want in your party. And, you know, even good players can kind of fall into this. You know, they think, I want to be an evil character. And so they're trying to be an evil character. And before they know it, they're all the way back around to just being an evil player. Genuinely, through no fault of their own, they just thought they were doing it right. And a lot of times it just takes a conversation. It's like, hey, I know you wanted to do the evil character thing, but you're being kind of a douche. And if, you know, they really are a good person, they'll be like, oh, sorry, I, you know. And maybe, you know, they'll change things up with that character or they'll just bring in a new character because they couldn't handle the responsibility or whatever, but still. Both of these are completely valid views of evil characters. 
just coming to the table. And in understanding, you know, how we can play better evil characters that aren't just id monsters, uh, that aren't just roleplay terrorists and wang rods run amok, we need to understand a few things about evil itself. And we're not going to get philosophical here. Too much. Maybe a little bit. Can't help myself. I'm sorry. But there are some important things to understand about roleplay in general, to understand evil characters. The first one is that nobody self-identifies as evil. You are never going to find someone who will say straight up, I am evil. Um, just, you know, no, no one self-identifies as evil. And this, in my opinion, comes from the fact that evil is a privation or lack of good. Evil is taking the less good option. Or taking the option where the least good can be done. Evil is depriving people of some good. So this is why no one self-identifies as evil. If anything, a lot of evil people self-identify as good. So you need to understand that. Saying, I want to be an evil character is already, you know, you're hanging the sign around your neck saying evil. Whereas no one really does that. Maybe you set your alignment as evil, but your character is your character. Their intentions may be, you know, not great. They may be selfish, um, you know, driven by their own ambition, rage, they may have a fatal flaw, but they are not, they would not consider themselves evil. Also, along with that, evil, for a lot of people, can be a matter of perspective. This is where, again, you know, nobody identifies as evil. Because good and evil are so often determined from a top-down view of things. Now, D&D &D is a top-down view of things, if you think about it, but when you role-play to the extent that, you know, you do in, in a game where alignment matters, like it would in an all-evil campaign, evil in that case is a matter of perspective. So from your character's perspective, they're not doing the evil action. They're taking the action that is best for them, or the action that's best for their goals, or the action they think is best for their goals, based on the information they have. <clears throat> so again, if you play your character... I won't say right, but if you play your character intelligently, thinking of yourself as your character for that three to six hour period that you're playing, 
If you get to play for six hours on a regular basis, God bless you. I just, you know, I, I remember being able to play for six hours, and that was, that was fun, let me tell you. College. Best part of college. The rest of it sucked. Um, but yeah. If you think of yourself as your character, you are not going to be taking the evil action. You're going to be taking the action that is expedient to your goal or furthers your ambition or, you know, whatever it is that's driving you. Which leads into the last point here. Characters good, evil, and neutral are driven by their goals. Um, the, where the rubber meets the road as far as good versus evil is that a good character will be willing to sacrifice their lives, their betterment, their, you know, gain, their well-being in the name of helping other people. Whereas an evil character would not necessarily, actually, straight up, would not be willing to do that. It's a matter of, you know, self-interest versus altruism. Or, you know, self-sacrifice versus self-preservation. That's really what good and evil come down to in a role-playing game. So, let's say, you know, the dungeon is collapsing. Someone pulled the idol out and the boulder's coming. You know, they forgot to put the bag of sand down, or their bag of sand didn't weigh as much as the idol. Um, and the boulder's coming after them. As they're running, you know, GM calls for deck saves. And everyone but one player makes it. A good-aligned character may very well turn around, grab that character, and carry them out of the dungeon. And, you know, if they're successful on their saves and all that, a good GM will give them inspiration for role-playing. An evil character would not turn around in that situation. Uh, an evil character would keep running. If not, like, I don't know, let's, let's change the scenario and say that they're being chased by a, uh, an Umber Hulk, like in Knights and Nerds. A good character would, you know, kind of go back and try to fend off the Umber Hulk to, you know, recover their comrade and then run, helping their comrade get out. An evil character may very well trip someone to make sure that the Umber Hulk gets them and not him. And, you know, in, again, if you set this up as a precedent, actually, no, never mind. I was going to say, you know, if an evil character trips one of the party members, you might want to give them inspiration too, but don't. Don't do that, because that'll create animosity at the table. Uh, so yeah, forget that. Don't, don't do that. But still, an evil character... Maybe just to kind of preserve, actually definitely to preserve the social nature of the game and not screwing over your friends, who are your friends, out of game, don't trip another player. But if a player falls and you're an evil character, it wouldn't be consistent for you to go back for them. 
unless that person is necessary to your goals or, you know, maybe your evil characters developed feelings for their character. If there's some benefit to you, then go back. But if not, then your your character definitely wouldn't go back. So, with that out of the way, let's talk specifically about circumstances in which an evil campaign would come together. So, how do evil characters, you know, evil people work together in fiction and in real life uh, towards a common goal? What, like, what does that look like and how do you make that into a role-playing game or an adventure? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, the first two things that come to mind, uh, one is, you know, a criminal brotherhood like the Mafia or a Thieves' Guild, an Assassin's Guild, some kind of organizational structure that ties together criminal activity or illicit activity that your players find themselves in. And a separate example that's also kind of a branch off of this would be something like pirates. Pirates. A pirate ship is an evil campaign in a lot of ways. If they're doing, like, real pirate stuff, if they're actually raiding ships and stealing treasure and, you know, terrorizing people and just kind of living to get coin, using that coin to buy booze and affection and just kind of repeating that endless cycle over and over again, that's an evil campaign. So there has to be, in those cases, or in those cases, some kind of structure that holds them together, be it the voluntary organization of a pirate ship and a pirate crew under a captain, uh, which works like a democracy from, you know, historical examples, or some kind of order, brotherhood, governing body like a mafia, like an assassin's guild or a thieves' guild that organizes crime. Uh, the other examples that I can think of are the Empire, um, which again is a hierarchy organizing uh, activity in the name of a common goal, that being kind of the furtherance of the Empire and the Emperor's power, and by extent their own influence and power within the Empire. So let's say you're doing an evil campaign and you're not sure how to tie everyone together, maybe there is an evil monarch. Let's switch the uh, old situation and say, let's say your party is working on behalf of Sarkon the One-Eyed. They are going to do his bidding, go into these villages, and spread the word that Sarkon will conquer all who stand in his way, uh, you can surrender now, or we'll be back with an army. Uh, you know, maybe you're raiding the camps of Sarkhan's enemies. There's some, some kind of government structure that you're working on behalf of that is evil in nature. So, again, a government structure. That's a way that it could work. 
Then you've got uh, something like, again, to use a professional wrestling analogy, a heel stable or tag team. A heel tag team or a heel stable of wrestlers, these are all bad guys, selfish, you know, cowardly cheaters who all are working together. Why are these people working together? In some cases, you know, if you want to look at, like, Edge and Christian when they were heels, they're best friends. They're, you know, they, they are basically working together for their own glory and prestige within the world of the World Wrestling Federation. They're goofballs, and they're, you know, they're basically there to make money and have fun hitting people with chairs. And then maybe you've got, like, more serious factions, like, currently in NXT, you have the Imperium, um, led by Walter. And they're basically there to, like, you know, show that technical wrestling is the best wrestling, and they're the best technical wrestlers. And they're there to dominate everyone and show that, you know, they are the greatest of all time, that kind of stuff. That can easily drive a party in this situation. Now, unless you're playing a wrestling RPG, you're not going to be going for the tag team titles and the world title. But in a situation like this, you know, you could have a group of people who are aligned in we want to gain as much power and money as we possibly can and just kind of live our lives as we see fit. Uh, something kind of like Fofford and the Grey Mouser, but with a little bit less, uh, you know, heroics. Because those two, I mean, they're thieves, but they're not, like, bad guys, per se. Which, I mean, again, with a technically evil campaign, you don't necessarily have to be bad guys. It's more that you're selfish. So, and, and you definitely wouldn't think of yourselves as bad guys, because again, that self-identifying is evil. And then the last way uh, I can think of that would bring evil characters aligned with each other would be a situation like the Suicide Squad. And there's been tons of fantasy variations on the Suicide Squad from a lot of different people. Matt Colville talks about this in his video. Um, and basically for anyone unfamiliar with the Suicide Squad, they are super criminals in the DC universe who are brought together by Amanda Waller from Argus, Checkmate, whichever organization from whatever timeline you're in, uh, you know, she brings them together to do, uh, basically classified black ops suicide missions on behalf of the United States government. And if they survive, they get reduced sentences, in, you know, just as a reward for their service to the government. And if they fall out of line or go into business for themselves, she's got each of them wired with a bomb in their heads. And if they go off script, she kills them. 
And, you know, if they die during the mission, they die during the mission. And then instead of it being, you know, like checkmate soldiers who were trying to carry out this secret operation in Bialia, it's just uh, Bronze Tiger, Deadshot, and Captain Boomerang. And, you know, they're, they're known bad guys anyway, so it, the the U.S. government can be like, no, they were in, they were in business for themselves. We don't know about that. But what ties them together is one, uh, they want reduced sentences, and two, uh, they don't want to die. They when once they agree to it, you know, they've got a bomb strapped to the back of their head, and uh, at that point, they want to live. So that they can enjoy that uh, reduced sentence. So yeah. The, the way you bind your players together here is through some kind of code of honor or common brotherhood. Uh, some kind of governmental structure that everyone falls under. A shared goal or a shared impending doom. Or you could, you know, weave a couple of these together. Let's say they're all members of the Assassin's Guild, and they have all been revealed as members of the Assassin's Guild by a mole within the guild. So in this situation, they're all kind of, you know, honor-bound to, you know, this code that they, they swore allegiance to, and let's say for, you know, the sake of argument, they're all, you know, they all feel the same way about the code. Uh, but they have been uh, put out by their own order. They've been uh, betrayed. And so now not only do, not only does the guild, uh, you know, think of them as traitors, but other people now know that they're assassins. Then you have characters who are bound by Brotherhood, but they're also now bound by the common goal of clear our names and get revenge on the SOB who outed us and uh, tried to make our order think we're traitors. Which may lead to, let's take over the guild, or let's go to another town and form our own guild. All kinds of things that you could do there. Uh, and, you know... Even if you don't want to have that structure there, you could, you know, everyone's got a common goal based on an impending doom, like a Suicide Squad type situation. So, now that you have an idea of what kinds of things can bind your characters together and how to get them to cooperate, even though they're evil and all ultimately self-interested... How do you make this work as like beyond one session or beyond half of a session? How do you make it work? And yes, Elfie, to acknowledge your comment here uh, and to do my Zangief voice, it just because you're a bad guy does not make you a bad guy. So yes, there we go. Think of that as the motto of your all evil campaign. But, again, I'm going to reiterate this because when it comes to a game like this, a situation 
where everyone is playing evil, self-interested characters. What you're talking about is a role-play-heavy campaign. There's no other way to get around this. Uh, you're gonna have to do some heavy role-play to figure stuff out like this. So if that's not your bag, um, your evil party will get along just fine as long as everyone's okay with just kind of being murder hobos. Uh, you know, you can explore and fight all you want, but if you don't want to put in the work, everyone's just going to be murder hobos, basically. And there's nothing wrong with that, necessarily. There's a constructive way to be a murder hobo, but, you know, just know that's what you're signing up for in that situation. So, if roleplay is not a dirty word to you, Let's talk about how and why. So, in order for this intricate interweaving of all of these characters' goals and individual desires with the common goal, the common structure, whatever it is that has bound them together in this adventure, all members of the party need to have a crystal clear idea of who they are and what they want. Uh, so, you know, players who are not good about giving your GMs backstories, that's not going to fly in the all-evil campaign. You need to know who you are and what you want. And your GM needs to know who you are and what you want. So really do some thinking about that. Get in the mind of your character... Think about who they are, what they want, what they're willing to do to get it, and, you know, their their devotion to law, rules, regulations, codes of honor, ethics, all that stuff. And have that down pat, so you know what to do in these situations. You also need to pay attention during roleplay. And you need to have conversations with the other members of the party because you also need to have some kind of knowledge or understanding or idea of what the other players want. Because as self-interested characters you need to know who wants what how do these goals align with your goals when do you need to be watching your back to make sure no one's sticking a knife in it and when do you need to know to stick a knife in someone else's back let's go back to the uh, Brotherhood of Assassins, who have been uh, revealed to the public and framed as traitors amongst their order. Let's say you've got someone who... Uh, let's say you have a fighter, in this case, who's uh, 
Let's say his ultimate goal is to win the affections of one of the local tavern wenches. You know, he's a simple man. And one of the other parties, or one of the other party members, uh, also has his eye on that tavern wench. So, in the event that, you know, this comes up, and these players are, you know, having this confrontation over, you know, who, which one of us is going to pursue this woman who, you know, like, trying to outdo each other, trying to win her affection, that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> would it be something that would turn violent? Is this something you're willing to kill over? Uh, what are you going to do if, let's say, you're the fighter and the, uh, the wizard in the party, the assassin wizard, is a little bit more charming than you, and she falls for him rather than you? Is that something you're willing to let go and move past? Or is her affection so important to your character that you're willing to kill that wizard? That's something that, well, for one thing, needs to be worked out by players. Because if you create a character who's single-mindedly in love with uh, this tavern wench, and then one of the other players at the table goes, oh yeah, I'm after her too. Is that player trying to start something? Like, in that situation, you know, is that player trying to sabotage your character or just trying to be kind of a dick or, you know, what whatever the situation is? But, you know, let's say you guys agreed upon that as a source of conflict between your characters. Your characters knew each other in the past. You both knew this girl and you both had feelings for her. Because that could happen. That could be a situation that your characters run into. <clears throat> Knowing how your characters interact with each other and how they interact with this woman and how she feels about your characters paying attention in these role-playing situations is going to be critical to that storyline that you're trying to set up. And if you're not paying attention or you're not trying as far as roleplay goes, it's going to fall flat and it's going to feel weird. Or let's say you misinterpret the way things are going and you create some like real life animosity between yourself and the other player over this imaginary woman. You know, that th these are situations that need to be addressed carefully with the game. You know, and, and you need to know how your characters feel about that. And if ultimately one of you is going to end up with her and the other one isn't, um, you know, out of game, it, it feels weird to say this, but you, know, you have to make sure that everyone, you know, leaves the table happy or at least resigned to what's going to happen. Excuse me. And, you know, make sure that there's no real animosity there. 
Because that's what kills games more than anything else, is generating genuine hatred. And it can happen sometimes, even in, like, not evil campaigns. I got so into role-playing one time that I got super mad at uh, Ashley, one of my former players, in real life, over something that her character did to my character in-game. And, and now that I think back on it, that moment is my favorite D&D moment of all time. This was the big betrayal um, that I've talked about. And maybe I'll talk about it again someday. But, you know, I was so into character and so into what was going on at that point that I got legitimately mad at Ashley the person, not her character. So, again, we... While so much of, you know, playing in a situation like this, <clears throat> while so much of it is, you know, wrapped up in being invested in who your character is and what they want, uh, remember to keep a degree of separation there. I'll put it that way. Don't get so involved that you get mad at the outcomes of a fake thing where ultimately you're playing make-believe with your friends while you're drinking and eating pizza. So, roleplay is very important, though. And so, you know, if you're the type of person who stacks dice waiting for combat, um, you're going to find that in a campaign like this, you're going to get bored very quickly. Or you're going to start creating distractions to alleviate your boredom. So yeah, that, you know, really is all there is to it as far as playing an evil campaign, creating evil characters, and having them interact with each other in, uh, you know, a gaming situation. Now, do I recommend doing this? No. Uh, off the bat, no. I don't recommend doing this because if you, let's say you're the GM in this situation. If I found myself in this situation and I approached my players and said, let's do an all evil campaign. Um, it's, it's going to be very much me imposing my will upon them and limiting the options that they have as role players. And ultimately, I don't want to do that. As much as I might want to ban the bard from my table, I'm half joking about that, but as much as I might want to ban the bard from my table, that might upset one of my players. Maybe they want to play a bard. Um, and while I generally find bards annoying because of the way that people think they have to play them, I'll allow them to play a bard. Even if I don't want to deal with bard shit, I'll let them do it. And if they're too obnoxious, I'll pull them aside and say, Hey, look, we need to talk about this. You're, you're being distracting. Or just straight up, you're irritating me. I'm not above saying that to a player. I'm really not above saying that to anyone. Except maybe my boss. Even then. Even then, I'm... There, there have been times, let me put it that way. But, 
you as the GM don't want to take options off the table for your players unless everyone agrees to it. If you say, how would you guys feel about an evil, an all evil campaign? If everyone at the table is like, yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. Let's do it. Then sure. But that kind of consensus is going to be very hard to gather because it's taking options away. And you never know which, you know, player at the table is thinking, I really want to do the archetypical, or the archetypal, I think I was right the first time. I want to be Paladin McPaladin pants, basically. Sir Paladin McPaladin pants. Lawful good Paladin of smiting evil. People get the impulse sometimes. Maybe someone wants to be a life domain cleric or, you know, like they, they really just want to be a good guy. The Superman fan at the table, you know, if, if I'm at your table, I, I love Superman. They want to give that a swing. You know, they, they want to see if they can be a very goody two-shoes good character, a real Boy Scout and still make them interesting and fun to play with. You never know when that could pop up. So, you know... Someone might, it's likely that someone will object to, I don't want to play all evil characters. Also, another reason why I don't necessarily recommend this. When it comes to evil characters, there's going to be a lot of, you're going to have to go over a lot in session zero as far as, all right, let's get this out of the way. We're all evil. So... Are we okay with, you know, gratuitous blood and violence? Are we okay with some, like... You, know, you might you might even have the conversation, like, are we okay with sexual violence happening in our game? I Like, personally, I don't want to roleplay that. Um, but if someone wants to, you know, you, you, gotta, you gotta get that out there. You gotta... You have to make sure people aren't gonna be squeamish about it because if people end up being squeamish then you're not really playing bad guys are you i mean yeah you can be playing selfish self-interested characters but if you're not doing bad guy stuff then what's the point why take those options off the table if you're not gonna i don't know kill someone who didn't necessarily deserve to be killed or torture the last enemy. You know, that not that half the reason why you wanted to do this? You know, you've got that last enemy there, and, you know, usually the paladin's like, you can't torture him. But at this point, you know, the paladin is uh, Lord Dark Annihilator, the, uh, the paladin of conquest. So he's, like, first in line. He's got, his, uh, he's got his dagger, he's cast heat metal on it, or he's had the druid cast heat metal on it, and he's like, I'm gonna... I'll get him to talk. So if people aren't comfortable with that, then you might want to consider something else. Um, again, maybe I'm just a psychopath. But, you know, when I think about what an evil campaign entails, it's a lot of grisly stuff. A lot of stuff you might not be comfortable with, or someone might not be comfortable with. So, again, I, I don't like this idea that you start a game... And something comes up and someone in the middle of the game goes, no, no, I'm not. I'm not into that. 
that all needs to be discussed beforehand. Uh, you need to come into the game knowing, you know, bad stuff can happen here. Or gory, grisly, uncomfortable, skin-crawling stuff can happen in this game. Um, and I want to role-play with the implications of what my character's reaction would be to that. That has to be decided before the game starts. And once you're in it, you're in it. That's the situation you're in. You can't back out at that point. So that needs to be discussed before you start. And it's important to have that discussion. Because at some point, if, you know, you're, you're not honest about what bothers you, uh, you're going to create a problem at the table. So be open and honest about that stuff. And also, you know, the reason I don't recommend it is it's so difficult to create a situation where people aren't just going to end up being bored of playing the same character over and over and over. Um... You know, how many heists can you commit before you're like, okay, the first three were fun. We're, you know, we, we've done six now and it's just, it's the same, we're doing the same thing every week. Or how many murders can we commit and then like, I don't know, frame a local politician for. So you have to, you have to be really creative and create a fascinating situation that your players are going to be constantly, you know, wanting to come back to. Which is a challenge for all GMs, but especially in a very limited environment like this. So, keep that stuff in mind. If you have a great idea, and your players are into it, and everyone's down to, you know, do some nasty stuff to some characters... Go for it. I mean, you, you've heard me talk a little bit about how to make that work. Go for it. And have fun. And, you know, if someone approached me with a situation like that, I'd be down for it. I'd be down to run something like that. But I'd have to have the player's commitment to it. Because I, as the GM, committed to, you know, creating the adventure for them. So they got to be committed to see it through. Otherwise, I'm going to be pissed because they didn't let me get to my cool thing that I was going to have them do where they end up in a showdown with the head of the Assassin's Guild that betrayed them and find out that he was blackmailed by someone else and it's the conspiracy runs deeper. So, yeah. Be committed to it. And have a cool idea that will encourage your players to be committed to it. And remember not to let your actions in-game affect your attitude towards each other out-of-game. Put your cards on the table as far as, you know, hey, my character might do something a little bit heelish or a little bit crappy to your character. No hard feelings. Pre-apologize. We're playing shady characters. They're going to do shady things. As long as that's good, then 
you're good to go. And have fun doing it. And, you know, explore whatever you want to explore with D&D. That's, you know, ultimately that's what we're here for. To, you know, tell interesting stories and have fun. So if that's fun, have your fun. So yeah, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, next week, not sure what we're going to do. Might finally talk about that Deadlands one-shot, but I might actually not do that since I'm running it at a convention, and I don't want to spoil any of what I've got going on. Um, next week, we'll probably do a little bit more painting, um, and I'll let you guys know what we'll be talking about then. So until next time, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.